Okay, thank you very much. And now to our final speaker in this panel, I'd like to introduce Dr. Kate Hex, who is a senior lecturer at the University of Exeter. Her first monograph was Walter Pater, Individualism and Aesthetic Philosophy. Her more recent work has been on the evolution of decadent writing and art in the 20th century, and it includes most recently Camping, some unpublished correspondence of Ronald Furbank, um, and most prolific is Kate Ben-Hex Hardboiled Decadence, the Flaneur Reporter, and also Decadence in the Age of Modernism, um, which is a forthcoming edition again, edited with Alex Murray. And her um, possibly favourite band of the 1960s is the Zombies, apparently. So today... It was yesterday. It was yesterday, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so today um, she's going to present on I'd Love to Turn You On, or the swinging in the swinging 60s. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. The sleeve design of the Beatles' eighth studio album, Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, features an assemblage of misfits. In 1967, as many of you will know, Peter Blake and Jan Howarth asked John, Paul, George and Ringo to suggest people, their icons, to collage together into a kind of imaginary band on the front cover. Um, there, nestled in between, um, in between uh, uh, Tony Curtis and John's shoulder is, um, is uh, Oscar Wilde, uh, you can probably see just there. And, um, and in the top left, looking as little, a little bit as though he intends to leave the party early, is Aubrey Beardsley. But why was Beardsley part of this gathering in the first place? Certainly, he cuts a kind of odd figure in most of this company, and I don't know whether he'd mu have much to say to Stuart Sutcliffe or the Hindu guru or Sir Robert Peel, who stand around him. As soon as I began to look into Beardsley's re-emergence in the 60s, though, the answer to this question seemed as elementary as the anomaly had before I knew. Following a major Aubrey Beardsley exhibition at the V&A in 1966, um, how do I use this? Yeah, in 1966, there was a revival of Beardsley's queer style in London, and I've got some of the, uh, I've got the catalogue here. If anyone's interested, I'll just put them over there afterwards, and a couple of other pieces. Um, there was a revival of Beardsley's queer style in London. Beardsleyism had never exactly gone away. But the 1960s marked, if I may entertain a cliché about the decade, a let-it-all-hang-out approach to the legacies of the Fantasiec, and particularly with regards to Wilde and Beardsley. In this atmosphere, it became more possible to reappraise Beardsley's significance. Whilst the artists and writers associated with decadence were still very much marginalised in academic accounts of literary history and art history, in the broader culture, the Beardsley period was beginning, at least, to be a little reborn. At the start of the decade, there's another, that's um, Brian Reed's um, little catalogue that came with, um, uh, Linda mentioned it earlier on. Um, at the very start of the decade, there were two British films based on H. Montgomery Hyde's landmark account of The Trials of Oscar Wilde. The first starred Robert Morley um, in 1960, and in the same year, um, another called, uh, starring uh, Peter Finch as Oscar Wilde. Um, Finch brought a warmth, a magnetism, and a sort of sad fatalism to his portrayal of Wilde and to the relationship with Bosey. Also in 1960, Wilde's complete works appeared in beautiful, in beautiful colours 
uh, beautiful green uh, uh, covers, like the colours of, of, of a green carnation, perhaps, published by Rupert Hart Davis. In 1963, the publication of The Letters of Oscar Wilde, also by Hart Davis, was something which Merlin Holland uh, later credited many times as a turning point in Wilde's reputation. In this light, it's not as surprising that Paul McCartney said years later, talking about the Sergeant Pepper sleeve, that Oscar Wilde was one of the ones they all liked, and they, they all agreed that he should be included. Maybe they all liked Beardsley too, he doesn't say that, but he himself, McCartney, had brought some of Beardsley's pictures for his new house, and of course uh, in, the, in that year, and Klaus Vormann had designed the previous album cover, Revolver, in the Beardsley style, reviving Beardsley's close association, of course, with music. The fact that four northern working class boys in their mid-twenties who came of age obsessed with rock and roll and skiffle admired Wilde and Beardsley indicates the extent to which they had come to embody artistic rebellion by, um, by the late 60s, I think. In the Olympia Press edition of Beardsley's Under the Hill, published in Paris first in 1959 and then in London in 1966, John Glasgow suggests that Beardsley was a harbinger of the artistic vision and sensual pleasure of the 1960s. He's writing this in 66, I think. He says, for now we can, we can now appreciate that Beardsley's literary vision was within its own imposed, own, own imposed limits, deeper and more far-reaching than that of any writer of his period just as his drawings show the most daring imagination in the art of black and white in any period since that of Albrecht Dürer. It is an attempt to push back the horizons of experience, to find new formulas of atmosphere and feeling. But now, in an age whose painfully enlarged vision he may have anticipated, an age which has learned to value, as his own never did, the existence of a world far apart, apart from the sphere of sorrow, we can appreciate the marvellous cohesion of his fancies, the sheer boldness and elan of conception, the perfection of taste shown in the apposition of thought and epithet, which is always staring, always startling, so always delightful, and the sheer freedom and beauty of this elegant, playful, sad, supernatural world of the spirit which he was still attempting to realise, even while he was slowly dying. Uh, Glasgow is quite right, of course. He was a visionary, a liberal, an imp. Um, and this view of Beardsley is echoed in Bridget Brophy's uh, 1968 study of black, uh, it called Black and White, a portrait of Aubrey Beardsley. But one of the interesting things about what Glasgow says about Beardsley is, is what the 60s wanted to see in him, what people wanted to see of Beardsley, what they wanted to make out of him themselves. Um, in the King's Road boutique Granny Takes a Trip, owned by Nigel Weymouth, um, it featured one of Wilde's aphorisms above its front door, one should either be a work of art or wear a work of art. Inside, alongside the clothes racks, there were copies of the yellow book, um, and Weymouth has said, said um, they, they were to us like our godfathers, these books. Um, 
and, um, and reflecting on this image of swinging London um, and its more darker, uh, decadent element, uh, Weymouth says today that um, we were too urbane despite all the pretty frocks. It wasn't as innocent or naive as people think. We were not flower children, though it depends what sort of flowers you're talking about. Maybe fleur de mal. The same crowd who were crowding the marquees for the Rolling Stones concerts were going to the Beardsley exhibition at the V&A. Um, I think that's really interesting um, because we, we, we must remember that Granny Takes a Trip um, and other shops like it, they were pitching to a young adult clientele that was often equally conversant in the classics, in European decadence and in pop culture. And in consequence of that, they were able to play with references to the 1890s with a knowingness that may be lost and maybe um, one forgets now. Weymouth's chief designer, John Pierce, was still a teenager when he started working um, at Granny Takes a Trip. And he designed the William Morris print jacket that everyone, ha and everyone who was anyone had in the summer of love. That's um, John Pierce on the far left. That's Nigel Weymouth wearing one of the William Morris jackets uh, in the foreground. Um, and uh, here are a couple of examples of his uh, other designs um, uh, modelled by George Harrison. Um, um, so, um, so there was this kind of like sense that the William Morris print captured something about the, 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 the about the, 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 the spirit of the age. Weymouth also put a picture, a photograph of Fader Barra playing Wild Salome in the 1918 film adaptation. Um, of, of, uh, of Salome um, in the front window. Um, he said, um, Salome's a vamp, a woman who's in power, and that's very attractive, and that look she's giving you, I'm quoting him, it's coy and camp, but it's also screw you. Um, Weymouth and Pierce helped to make it a trend, that this a trend that gestured to an impish nonconformity. Um, also artistic independence and sexual empowerment. And they did this, um, uh, they, they focused on this more than the element of queer or odd desire at the centre of Beardsley. Note, for instance, that the Salome that they put in the window wasn't, um, wasn't Nazimova's Salome, which queers wild. It wasn't <coughs> Beardsley's Salome, exactly. Um, but rather... They put Fader Barra's uh, Salome, who is a hetero male fantasy of female domination. Um, and, uh, and, and so they're, in a way, sort of heteronormalizing uh, the, uh, the wild Beardsley legacy, I think. And depending on your recollection of Rod Stewart's back catalogue, you may also remember. <laughs> You may not remember. You may remember. Um, also, the, the song that he wrote, the uh, post-Maggie May song, You're In My Heart, which in 19, 1977 is about a sort of seductress cougar who has a collection of Aubrey Beardsley prints. Um, a, a surprising element of a Rod Stewart uh, song, um, he wrote, which he wrote, which he wrote, by the way. Um, the renaissance of decadence in the 60s went mainstream through Beardsley, and in particular through the appropriation of Beardsley's style in the clothing designs by a very important and diverse figure, Anthony Little. As the head designer of the women's clothing chain Bieber from 1965 to 8, Little drew extensively on Beardsley's use of black and white design. And as for the shops themselves, as Alwyn Turner, cultural critic, writes, Bieber was not so much a department store as a theme park devoted to elegantly wasted decadence. 
In the shops, there were um, postcard prints. This is one example, but it's not the only one, um, of Wilde in the Beardsley style for sale at cash registers, um, as this design by, um, by Little um, suggests, making explicit the link between Bieber's clothing designs and the two figureheads of decadence in the 1890s. At the same time as his work for Bieber, Anthony Little was illustrating the first English translation of Apollinaire's The Wandering Jew and Other Stories in 1967, again published by Rupert Hart Davis. The drawings are positioned in the text to add a new playfulness to the story's treatment of sexual promiscuity and death. Um, stylistically, as you can see, um, Little is ranging across uh, Beardsley's, um, Beardsley's career, um, uh, he, uh, although he, he leaves out the kind of naughtiest designs. It's curious, uh, to me anyway, how little a skilled artist and designer sticks close to the, uh, the source pictures, but pastiches Beardsley's influence on him with the hint of sort of cartoonish expressions on his people. I'm not sure if you can see that there. Um, you can the the, the, um, the the ennui of his sort of abbe. If this, in, I'm not sure whether this indicates a sort of discomfort with Beardsley's legacy, um, a sense that we're not supposed to take it seriously, or that Little himself can't take it seriously, um, or, or maybe that he's he himself is kind of repastiching the pastiche that um, Joseph mentioned earlier on. Um, but this doesn't. This kind of pastiching doesn't last long. If we look at, uh, ooh, did I leave out the cover design? Oh no, I did leave out the cover design. But if you want to see the cover design, it's here. So, um, so if we look at uh, the cover design, um, we can see that uh, that Little is also making uh, making a connection between the voluptuous symmetrical uh, curves and colours of psychedelic rock art and Beardsley's compositions uh, inside. And this analogy between the fin de siècle and the 60s can be traced on to Little's next and most, most long-term venture when he set up a boutique wallpaper and fabric design business with Peter Osborne, father of George, in 1968. Um, and this was his first wallpaper design titled Wild Carnation. Um, I, I would like to think that George has this in his house. Um, <laughs> But this is what I want to go on to talk about. This is, um, this is a design by, Mike, by Michael English. Because when English painted a Beardsley-esque mural on the interior wall of Gentleman's Outfitter Hung On You uh, in Cale Street, he goes much further to re-queer Beardsley. This mural goes the full Beardsley, I think. Like Little's designs, he's taking inspiration from the Beardsley of the Mort d'Arthur, the Yellow Book, and Salome. Um, he's recreating the kind of two-tone look of those pictures with the line block design borrowing from Beardsley's hair in Mort d'Arthur, um, with the spaces between the lines um, just slightly distorted in order to give the suggestions of psychedelic rock posters like those by Wes Wilson and this Victor Moscoso. And the excessive fabrics that we see here um, themselves in, in sort of Beardsley-esque designs take priority over the figures so that the people themselves become like patterns, aesthetic objects more than people. If on the left-hand side the depiction of young men, maybe a band, maybe a couple of members of the Stones who certainly shocked there, I'm not sure. If that stuff on the left-hand side 
gives um, Beardsley as a signifier of fashionably cut alpha masculinity and a live fast, die young mentality. The force of the composition becomes more complicated as we pan over to the right. With Wilde himself, it seems, a sort of fourth band member peeping out androgynous, as in Beardsley's first illustration of Salome, like a presence from another world, almost, engulfed by Beardsley-esque peacock feathers. Um, and then, um, and of course, it, that, that those themselves are a symbol of proud male self-grooming in the 1890s and set against the sort of halo of hair there. In the centre-right, perhaps English is capturing a mood of Salome's toilet, briefly, the distorted limbs of that seated male, just uh, centre-right, centre and his feminised slippered feet, promoting a sort of idea of male grooming, male grooming and expressive dressing that looks back to the fin de siècle. Certainly this played up to the shop's cachet, when you shopped at Hung On You, the rock journalist Nick Cohen says, you felt like both Oscar Wilde and Captain Marvel locked up inside one body. But things become a bit more complicated because although the mural is drawing on fashionable countercultural reputation of Beardsley and Wilde to sell clothing, it's not just that. In a number of ways, the mural is also problematizing. Um, and unnerving regular male shoppers. Um, so, um, for example, um, have a look at that phallic vase that the, that the seated Salome man is holding, um, pointing up, tall and proud, and the sort of uh, the, uh, the the kind of grotesque embryo that um, has been mentioned a number of times. Uh, second from the right, there, all sort of bunched up, and the sort of Piero figure staring out with pouting lips just above the phallic vase. Um, so what, um, what, what we have here is a kind of far queerer subversive provocation, suggesting a liberating slippage perhaps between male self-fashioning, the creation of new identities, and a fluid sexuality. In all this, the ludic, the ludic shouldn't be forgotten. John Glasgow suggested in the quotation earlier a kind of ironic, ironic detachment from a shared, serious reality. Um, and he suggested that this was a quality that Beardsley offered or even epitomised to a generation detaching themselves in various ways from the shared values of their parents' generation. Brian Reed also focused on the flippancy, mischievousness, irony, mockery of Beardsley in his 1967 catalogue. Um, as, the, as, one, as, as the art duo known as Hap Hash and the Coloured Coat, Michael English and Nigel Weymouth, again, really take this up, at the same time making Beardsley's style into a more organic part of psychedelic design. Um, there it is. Um, this is their, uh, their design for a poster for um, the Who's, I can see, for Miles. Um, and you can see uh, the sort of Beardsley-esque uh, sort of grinning uh, figure in the moon there. Um, mirroring Beardsley's first illustration for Salome, which of in which, of course, Wilde's face appeared, um, here we have another face, most likely that of the Who's drummer, Keith Moon. 
It's obviously a joke, Moon the Loon, as he was sometimes known, depicted in the moon. But it also indicates the fact that Moon provided much of the Who's anarchic energy and spirit, watching on from his place at the drums at the back of the stage, but also often orchestrating mayhem. He was a keen prankster, looking on, ironising the whole scene before him. The rebeardslification of, of Wilde's image reinstates his queerness and danger, glimpsed in just some of the aspects of Peter Finch's portrayal of him, and this sense of currency and danger in Wilde, and um, particularly um, Beardsley, is glimpsed again and shown again in the Rolling Stones music video for We Love You, made in August 1967, and it brings us back full circle to a sort of queering of, um, of them. Um, it bizarrely, this music video bizarrely features uh, Mick Jagger and Marianne Faithful as Wilde and Bosey, respectively, um, at Wilde's trial for acts of gross indecency. Or perhaps it's not quite that bizarre, because when we look at it more carefully, we might remember that the video draws a parallel between Oscar Wilde and Jagger, who was at the time on bail pending appeal for a now very famous drugs charge, infamous drugs charge, and he was expected to go to prison. As it does so, this video positions itself in a history that makes analogies between tr queer transgression and drug abuse that goes back to Noel Coward's play The Vortex. Um, in the early 20s. At the same time, the analogy between Wilde and Jagger mocks the moral authority of the law, showing, that the showing the judge played by, I'm not sure who it is, Keith Richards, I don't, there have been so many members, haven't there, wearing, a green, wearing green carnations in his wig, which you can't quite see there, um, and reminding the contemporary audience that Wilde's so-called crime had been very recently decriminalised, just one month earlier, in fact, uh, July 1967, in the Sexual Offences Act. And so, in the future, too, drug use might not carry the prison sentence that Jagger was then facing. In conclusion, that Beardsley, Wilde and the decadent movement were largely left languishing outside the fine arts departments and leaversite English departments of the 1960s in Britain might well have been, in fact, their liberation. Though we see Beardsley beginning in some small way to enter the literary and cultural establishments, such as the V&A in the 60s, or at least to darken their doors, it is, in fact, as a creative visionary that, that Beardsley's afterlife is at its most phosphorescent in that decade. Beardsley came back to life in the 60s like Walter Pater's Dionysus, a strange visitor from the ancient world. He appeared not as a relic, but as their contemporary, whose status as a witty outsider and eternal youth liberated him for the young, they ad who adapted his style to the contemporary youth culture that they themselves were defining. He, Wilde, and the others of the 1890s tragic generation were people whom, with whom the mods could identify, whose style signified a spirited defection from post-war austerity to beautifully dressed rebellion, just as Beardsley had embodied this rebellion uh, against high Victorian values. And yet, looking at Beardsley, uh, or looking at the late 60s through Beardsley doesn't always give us the 1960s we expect or even want. Um, Beardsley's 60s is not Austin Powers, but as Nigel Weymouth said, it's more fleur de mal. And at its height, over the summer of love and the year of rebellion, the unnerving edge that defines Beardsley's work might help us to question whether little Weymouth, English, and their 68 contemporaries did not also recognise 
the fragility and brevity of the great Van der Sieck flowering as their own. <laughs>